Um, over these next weeks, we're going to be dipping into the book of Ruth. It's a small book in the Old Testament, four chapters, and uh, it's about a woman who met with God. And uh, it's very poignant, and it's very pertinent. And I believe that God is going to speak to us, I believe he's going to speak to us this morning, and I believe he's going to speak to us over the coming weeks. So we're going to uh, look at just a few verses from the beginning of Ruth. The word, it's going to come up behind me on the screen. Uh, it's from the NIV version of the Bible, and uh, I'll read it, but you can follow behind me as I read. This is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. I've got some, Annette and I have some friends uh, in the church in Hedgeend, where we used to be. We were there for 20 years. And uh, these friends of ours, they got married a few months before us. And be, uh, previously they were living in Kent. And uh, the husband moved down ahead of his wife, was uh, bought a flat and, uh, where they were going to live when they were married. And uh, he didn't know the area. And he moved down and he bought a flat and uh, house prices were going up and he, he, he actually didn't even take his wife to the flat that they were going to buy because house prices were rocketing. And uh, he made a decision to buy this flat on the edge of Southampton and it was in an, a block of, it's a council block of flats. It was privately owned, that particular flat, and he bought it. And uh, they got married and they moved in and uh, they realized what a terrible mistake they'd made. They, uh, the, the block of flats, uh, it turned out, was in a really difficult area. And uh, the entrance to the flats was often being vandalized. And people would, uh, uh, would urinate in the communal area, the entrance to the flats. They'd, uh, there was graffiti all over the walls. Um, and as they brought their kids up and as they lived there, it was a really tough environment. They, brought their, they had two children and they brought their children up and it got tougher and tougher. Gangs of youth, were, it was really intimidating. Um, there were moments in their flat when uh, they'd look out the window and they'd see a sofa coming down outside the outside of the flat. It was a really tough time for them. And they, uh, it, they ha there were moments, uh, they cried out to God. There were moments when 
They didn't know what to do. And there was one night when they turned up their two kids late at night outside our front door, devastated, weeping, just being all kicked off outside the flat. They couldn't live there anymore. And uh, they came in, and we put them up for a couple of nights, and then uh, uh, someone in the church took them in for about six months. And uh, they were absolutely broken. Hope was destroyed. How could they ever get out of this mess? The flat, uh, house prices had dropped. This flat was worth virtually nothing. They had a mortgage. What on earth were they going to do? They felt disappointed. Their dreams were shattered. They were disappointed. They had all sorts of questions, I know, of God. God, why did this happen? They were absolutely rock bottom. But they kept hanging on to God. They kept trusting God through the real difficult times. And over a period of years, in fact many years, God turned the situation, situation around. They eventually managed to sell the flat, lost money on it, but managed to sell it. They are now living in a beautiful home. They're living a part of a community which they hadn't, hadn't enjoyed where they were living previously. There was no sense of community. There was just a sense of fear and anxiety that came over them when they were around their, their flat. But they moved into this beautiful home. They're now living there. And they now have hope. Hope has been restored. God has worked it out for them. It took years and years and years. Moments when they wondered how on earth were they going to get through it. But they've seen God come through for them in uh, what was a really difficult situation. And now they've, they're even, they live on the edge of an estate in Southampton. And they've taken a young lady in with her uh, little one and have cared for her and had her living with them in their home. They have created a sense of community. They have a sense of hope for the future. God has broken through for them. God has broken through for them. I want to tell you that that story of hope being restored is the story of Ruth. Many people ask, is the Bible relevant to us today in the 21st century? Well, you are going to see as we look at this story in Ruth, as we take an overview this morning of the book of Ruth, you're going to see that it does. Ruth was set in the time of the judges. It was an era of Israel's history, post-Moses and Joshua. That had been a glorious season of Israel's history. And uh, just as uh, Joshua died, everything changes. It was a little like the moment that Alex Ferguson left as manager of Manchester United and David Moyes takes over. Who would ever want to take over after Alex Ferguson? And suddenly Israel is in this, uh, this season. This, uh, uh, everything has changed. And Ruth is set, in, uh, is set in the context of the fading glory of a nation, a once great nation. After Joshua died, we're told that another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The people forgot. 
They forgot the wonderful things that God had done for them. That's why Rob encouraging us to be a thankful people, to remember what God has done for us is such a key issue. The people easily forgot what God had done. They turned away from him. And they started worshipping the gods of the people that lived around them. And consequently, God took his hand of favour off them to draw them back, to woo them back, to win his people back to himself. Nations that they had once ruled began to oppress them. It was no longer a land flowing with milk and honey. Disappointment and distress, we're told, were the order of the day. Eventually, they would cry out to God, and God would raise up judges, men and women, who would save them from their oppressors. And the whole book of Judges is the story of God raising up judges in response to the people's cry for help. The worst thing about this was that they, after they were delivered and after God had broken through them, they would slip back into old ways. And this cycle of turning away from God and then crying out to him and coming back and then turning away again, thus riddled through the book of Judges. And the book of Ruth is set in the middle of that season, of those, that era. The people of God, God's people, the children of Israel, they were not any old nation. God had specifically chosen them to show the nations around that He was God. They are a picture of us, the church. And when we read about the children of Israel in the book of Ruth, we need to realize that there is something for us to learn from it. I want you to know if you get nothing else from this morning, that the overarching message of Ruth is that God loves us and is committed to building his church here in Winchester. Ruth is a story of lost hope being restored. And God is going to speak to us this morning. As we change our name to Hope Church, it is a prophetic statement It is not just a name. It is a prophetic statement because we are to be a people of hope. And so I want to draw out two things this morning. First of all this, when hope is lost. You see, when hope is lost, fatalism is the order of the day. Que sera, sera, whatever, will be, will be. That sort of thinking starts to get into our hearts Whatever will happen, will happen. We become fatalistic. You see, Ruth shows us, the book of Ruth shows us what, how hope is lost. And as the, we open up the first few verses, we see the first thing, we see a loss of confidence in God. You see, life was meant to be simple for the children of Israel. Israel had no king Because God was their king. When he spoke, they were to follow. They were to be his people. And the proof of the pudding was that when things didn't work, they soon drifted away. They soon lost confidence in God. When things got tough, they suddenly took their eyes off God. When things were going well, it was fine. But when things got a little difficult, they started to take their eyes off God. They lost sight of God. 
Their confidence in God disappeared like mist in the morning breeze. And as we open the first few verses in Ruth, we come, we're introduced to a family, a man called Elimelech, his wife Naomi and their two boys. We're told that there was a famine in the land. Ironically, they lived in a place called Bethlehem. And the name Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And yet, how ironic, there is no bread in the house of bread. They're living in the midst of famine. Whatever the cause, whatever the cause of the famine, and famines in the, in the Bible, there's lots of reference to them. Sometimes it's to do with warfare. Sometimes it's to do with a plague of locusts. Sometimes it's to do with drought. Sometimes it's the discipline of God. Whatever the cause of this famine, it was an opportunity for them to look to God. It was an opportunity to trust him. And yet Elimelech has clearly lost faith and he decides to move him and his family to Moab. It's bizarre. Elimelech's name means my God is king. His name means my God is king. His parents had left him with this great heritage. He had parents who were believers in God and they had given their son a name. My God is king. But for Elimelech, God wasn't his king anymore. He squanders his inheritance and wanders off to a far country, just like the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Elimelech leaves no godly inheritance for those who will follow on after him. And just as we are introduced to him, he suddenly dies. A bleak start. And soon after, within the next few years, his two sons have died as well. And his, whose name means pleasant, finds her life empty and barren and broken, finds herself living in the midst of shattered dreams, her hopes for the future all ripped apart. No husband, no children, no hope of grandchildren, no hope of anyone caring for her in her old age. They didn't live in a day of where the government provided. Your family provided you. She was left with no hope. Without doubt, her mind is dominated with questions. Where's God? Why did he allow this to happen? Is it my fault? Maybe you know exactly how Naomi felt. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe you feel utterly hopeless. Maybe you feel you're Life has been ripped apart and you're living in the midst of shattered dreams. Maybe your confidence in God is at rock bottom. If you do, I want you to know this morning that God has not changed his attitude towards you at all. You may never find answers to the why questions this side of eternity, but I want you to know this. That God wants you to trust in him with all your heart.
I want you to know that God uses shattered dreams to draw us closer to him. I want to say that again. God uses shattered dreams to draw us closer to him. That's the testimony of Naomi. That's the testimony we're going to find as we work through the book of Ruth over these coming weeks. I want to tell you that is my testimony. I want to tell you that this is the testimony of many, many people who are sitting here this morning. God is faithful. The Bible tells us that we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. You see, God sees the big picture. He works things out perfectly. His paths, we're told in Romans chapter 11, are beyond tracing out. God knows what he's doing. We have no idea sometimes what God is doing, but God is always at work and he is always working out his purposes. He is always working things out for our good. That's what it says in Romans 8.28. When hope is lost, we lose confidence in God. God says, don't lose confidence in me. When hope is lost, there's also a loss of community. You see, what we see in this story is that it's every man for himself. Elimelech hears hears things are better in Moab and he just up sticks and moves. Apparently, no one tries to stop him. Interestingly, the Bible makes no comment on his decision. I mean, the Moabites were an enemy. They oppressed the people of God. You can read through the book of Judges how they do that in Judges 3. They, the people of God were prohibited from worshipping. Uh, the Moabites were prohibited from worshipping among God's people. You read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. Clearly, intermarriage with Moabites was not a great idea as far as the people of God were concerned because they would draw them away from worshipping him. And yet both Elimelech's sons marry Moabite girls, Ruth and Orpah. We are watching in front of us as we read the opening verses of Ruth chapter 1, we are watching the disintegration of a community. We're watching it fall apart in front of our eyes. You see, the people of God were always intended to be a community. They were birthed on sharing. As they wandered through the desert coming to the promised land, God provided manna from heaven. And for those of you who don't know, it was like little seeds, kernels of, uh, on the ground, which they used to pick every morning and they used to grind and make uh, sort of like a, a bread for them to eat. And they were to collect manna, but they weren't to collect too much. And they gathered all the manna, everybody, they corporately gathered manna, they put it and they shared it out. God was teaching them that they were a community who said, so if you were big and strong and you collected loads, and there was an older person who was unable to collect, you shared what you had gathered together. They genuinely lived in community. They were a people who were commanded to care for the needy. God's people were commanded to care for the poor and the needy. They were, de- they were to demonstrate the love of God by the way they lived together, the way they related together.
If God was not central, if people lost confidence in God, community life broke down. Maybe you're here this morning and you're disappointed with church. How many of you have been disappointed with church? Put your hand up. I can tell you, I've been disappointed with church. Disappointed with church. Feel let down. Disappointed. We've all felt like that on occasions. All of us have felt like that. Have you found on occasions there's no bread in the house of bread? The place where you should be sustained, the place where you should be fed, you found that there's no bread? Nothing to sustain you? In the place where you should receive hope, you found barrenness and famine? If you have, I want to tell you, sadly, running away is not the answer. The grass is never greener. Moab is not the answer. You see, church is not intended to be just a meeting. Church is far more than that. Fellowship is not just a cup of coffee at the end of a meeting. It is far more than that. Church is to be a community of people who love God and live in relationship with each other in the light of what God has done for us in our lives. You see, when community breaks down, there's no authentic sharing of life. We become locked into our little groups. No one cares for people on the fringe of church life. People come and go and no one ever notices. Community should be the bedrock of the church. Loss of community. Finally, when hope is lost, there's a loss of culture. The telltale phrase which summarizes the days of Ruth is, in those days, everyone did as he saw fit. When God is no longer at the center, whether it be at the center of the church life or center of an individual's life, the end result is that we do our own thing. Individualism, individualism is the curse of the church. There is no sense of corporate responsibility. So people flit from church to church looking for something that's going to meet meet their needs. There is little sense of commitment. There is little sense of commitment in our society today. Take marriage vows. Did a, 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 doing a marriage on, fr- on Friday. And this is what the couple said to each other, that they would they committed to each other through the good and the bad times, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as both as we long shall live. That is commitment. I've watched people that I admire and respect, godly men, I can think of two godly men, both of them caring for their wives who have had Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and slowly disappeared into their own little world. And they have kept loving them and cherishing them. I remember uh, the minister of the church I used to be in in Swansea before I left. For probably about 
I think it must have been about 15 years, the last 15 years of his life, every day he would visit his wife in hospital and he would sing to her. He would read scripture to her. He would spend time with her. She didn't know who he was. He faithfully did it because he made a commitment to her. That honors God. See, we are marked too often by self-centeredness. We feel hopeless. And Naomi's cry in Ruth chapter 1 verse 12 echoes through the centuries. She says this, even if I still thought there was hope for me. That's what she felt like. There is no hope for me. That's what Naomi thought. But she was wrong. And if you are thinking that this morning, there is no hope, there is no way out, there is no way back, there is no hope for me. I want to tell you, it's a lie. There is hope for you. In the midst of disappointment and sadness, when all seems, when all hope seems to have gone, Ruth gives us encouragement. If you're living in the midst of shattered dreams, if you felt disappointed by God, if you felt let down by church, whether this church or other churches, Ruth reminds us that none of us are beyond the grace of God. Ruth reminds us of the importance of the local church, that it really is the hope of the world. Ruth reminds us that there is a God in heaven who hasn't given up on us. He never lets go. God wants you to know this morning, and this is my second point, he wants you to know of hope restored. You see, Ruth is a beautiful story with a timeless message of hope being restored through shattered dreams. It speaks of a God who is faithful when we're not, a God who is full of love and compassion to those who deserve nothing. Ruth reminds us that none of us are beyond God's grace. Ruth reminds us that there's a better way to live. Ruth reminds us that God always opens doors when there seems to be no way forward for us. The message of Ruth is of hope restored, of restored confidence in God. You see, Ruth is all about the gospel. Ruth is all about the good news of God. You see, it takes shattered dreams for Naomi to realize there is only one place to go. She hears the faintest whisper that God is doing something amongst his people. The faintest whisper. And she makes her decision. She turns for home. After 10 long years of prodigal, she returns. Do you need to do that? Maybe you've been running away from God for years. This morning is time to come home. Hear the faintest whisper, God is doing something new. And he has a place for you amongst his people. All through Ruth we see reminders of the mercy of God to undeserving people. Naomi deserves nothing. She deserves nothing, and yet she gets, at the end of Ruth, she gets a new family, a new community, a new hope. Ruth, a poor Moabite girl, 
should never even be amongst the people of God and yet God opens a way for her to become part of his family, his community. This God includes all. Naomi re- regains her faith in God and Ruth comes to trust in the God that she never knew. Ruth's simple, profound and yet beautiful declaration rings through the years, she says this in one, chapter 1, verse 16. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. This is the grace of God. It's the essence of the gospel. We're going to see in the coming weeks as we unpack this book, we're going to see come across the hero of the book, a guy called Boaz. We're going to see that he is a picture of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that he goes out of his way to redeem Ruth, this poor girl, and bring her into his family. Her poverty becomes his poverty. His riches become her riches. We're going to see that he is a type of Christ. That is what Jesus did for us. As we come to the end of Ruth, as we look at the end of the Ruth, we're going to see that Ruth and Boaz marry and they have a son. And not only does it bring hope for Naomi, not only does it bring them hope, but we see miraculously that this boy is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. We see the gospel weave through. We see how God works. God is always at work. You may feel your dreams have been shattered. Know this, God is working out his purposes for good. His gospel is at work. I was thinking about this this week. You know when you, you look and you think, wow, it's been a, it's been a little difficult time or, or whatever. And I was thinking, I was struck while I was in this wedding on Friday. Matthew and Esther getting married. Two years ago, they weren't believers. Two years ago, they hadn't come to faith. They have now come to faith in Jesus Christ. We baptized them here on a Sunday morning. And they have got married in the sight of God, making vows, promises to each other before God, which they intend to keep because they love God. God is at the center of their relationship. God is at the center of their life. Who would have believed that? I see Scott Freeman sitting up on the balcony up there. He's got his head in his hands just as I say it. Three or four years, Scott was not even dreaming of coming to church. Wouldn't even have darkened the door of a church. In these last years, he has come to faith. We've baptized him, and he's been doing this year, been doing FP with us. He's done a great job. I was talking this week to a little girl, student. I call her a little girl because I feel that much older now. But student, second year student, comes from a really difficult home life. Came to university, not even thinking about God, all sorts of baggage. And God broke into her life. He had plans for her that she never even dreamed about. God is working out his gospel. Even in the midst of when things don't work well for us, God is at work. Have your dreams been shattered? Have you lost confidence in God? This morning, lift your eyes to the bigger picture. 
God never gives up. It may not happen in an instant. It may take time. But in the middle of shattered dreams, there is a higher road. There is a higher road. Look to God. Ruth reminds us of the restoration of confidence in God. Ruth reminds us of the restoration of a godly community. Hope changes everything. You see, when Nomi returns, she finds God rebuilding his community. She had no hope for the future. Her future looked bleak. But to her surprise, she finds amongst the people of God a community who actually care for her. She finds a family, Ruth finds a family of people who will accept her. We find, as we read the book of Ruth, a community that welcomes the refugee and the outsider. We see a place where the hope are cared for, where the poor are looked after. The story of Ruth is about the community of God being restored to be a place for all, rich and poor, where the outsider is welcomed. You know, migration is a huge issue in our society today. We are to be a church who welcome all whatever their background. We know that as people come amongst us, people never stay the same because God changes them. So we come as we are, come as we are, but we never stay as we are because God is at work in us. Church should be a place where the old are cared for in their latter years. What our Monday group do, I just commend them. It is outstanding. We want to be a church that care for the elderly. What our soup service team do every Thursday night, without often recognition, without noticing, they care for people on the streets of Winchester. You think, can there be any people on the streets of Winchester? Can there be needy people? There are needy people. Faithfully, they do it. We're to be a church that embrace all. Is that not what Hope Church is called to be? Are we not called to make a difference to this city? That's why we're going to be starting up CAP, Christians Against Poverty, a debt center. Because there are people in the city, both rich and poor, who are in a mess financially. And they need help. They feel hopeless that there is no way out. They feel locked in. Ruth reminds us, of restoration of godly community. And finally, Ruth reminds us of the restoration of godly culture. You see, hope changes the way we live. God is back on the throne of our lives. He is our king. We live for him and not for ourselves. People matter because they matter to him. Everything changes. We find the writer in Ruth uses a distinct Hebrew word, he uses a word called hesed. Verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, Naomi says, may the Lord show kindness to you. What she says is, may the Lord show hesed to you. It's a Hebrew word. It has, it's a significant word in the book of Ruth. 
The people of God were to be marked by it because God himself was marked by it. God demonstrates hesed. It's an agglomeration of a number of words that we would use. Kindness, love, mercy, grace, integrity, respect, honor, trust. That's what hesed means. We are to be a people of hesed, just like God, our Father. We are to be children of our Father. Hesed requires extraordinary commitment. As we read through the book of Ruth, we're going to read of Naomi's two daughters-in-law. She starts coming back to Israel with them, and then she says, both of you, I want you to go back. It's no good staying with me. There's no hope if you stay with me. Go back to your families in Moab. Don't stay with me. And Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, says, okay, I'm going to go back. And Ruth decides to stay, and she makes that great declaration, your God will be my God, your people, my people. Now, Orpah didn't do anything wrong, but Ruth showed hesed. She showed loyalty, she showed commitment, she, she put Naomi before herself, she committed herself to her for as long as they both should live. She promised she was going to stay with her come what may. She demonstrated hesed. There was a selflessness, a kindness about her decision which reminds us of the heart of God. It is a whole different way of living. And if we live like that, we bring into place a whole new culture, a whole new way of living. Kindness and care for others. Grace and mercy, a loyalty to one another that goes beyond anything natural, an integrity. Ruth really did mean, I will stay with you till the bitter end. She really meant it. Encouragement, wanting the best for others. We see people willing to take risks because they really believed in God. This is Hesed. This is the culture that we are to exude. This is because we are the people of God. This is the God that we worship, and we are to reflect His values in this city, in this place. Over recent weeks, I've been talking a lot about creating culture in the church. This is exactly what we're talking about. Have you lost hope? Have you got shattered dreams? Are you disappointed with the church? Do you feel barren, empty, and fruitless? I want to tell you, you are in the right place this morning because you're in a place where God wants to restore hope he wants to restore your confidence in the gospel he wants to restore your confidence in the church and he wants us to create a whole new culture